Hey everybody, welcome back to The Fin Factor. I'm Paul and Aaron is not with us tonight because he's out making babies. <laughs> not making babies, but delivering babies. And actually not even doing that either. He was just kind of sitting there rooting his wife on. Uh, Aaron is a father for the third time as of today. Uh, so therefore he chose to uh, do that instead of the show. Selfish, I know. But you know what? We got him. You guys have been asking for him. Marshall is on the show. Can we get some claps or some flames or something in the chat for Marshall here? Give it to him, guys. Go ahead, Marshall. How you doing? Thanks, Paul. Uh, I'm glad to be uh, hopefully an equally impressive, bald-headed uh, white guy. Say a few mildly intelligent things about hockey uh, this evening in Aaron's place. Thanks for having me. Excellent. And I see already uh, Aaron in the chat saying, hey, now. Um, hey, now, buddy. Uh, congratulations, buddy. Uh, that's uh, that's too cool. I love the name, too. I don't know if I'm OK to share it or not. But uh, for, for me, I do love the name. If you wanted to uh, give that to everyone, uh, go right ahead. OK, so let's go ahead. and Just jump straight into it. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights. This was geez, geez, like a week ago. Uh, we played and the Sharks lost that one. It was a three to one loss. I'm not going to go too much into all these games. We're going to hit on a few points here and there. Uh, but one of the main things that came out of this game was Shimmick's injury. Um, I forget. It was, I think it was uh, Riley Smith had the puck, and Shimmick gave him kind of a bump, uh, knocked him off. Uh, they were both actually going for the puck before he actually got there. So he bumped him before they got the puck, and Jonathan Marcheseau took exception to it uh, and goes right after Shimmick, runs him into the boards. Now, the, the hit looked clean to me, but it was malicious in nature. And you could definitely tell he was going after Shimmick for that one. And then I think it was uh, seconds later in the same shift, here comes Marshall so again and cross checks Shimmick right in the ribs and Shimmick goes not just to the bench, but he goes off. And now Shimmick's been on the IR for the past I think three games now. So um, kind of I just want to start off, Marshall, go ahead. And what do you think about that hit? I mean, it, it was uh, it looked pretty dirty to me, the, at least the second one with the cross check. Yeah, you could tell obviously Marshall was responding in the first one, but I think you're right. It's probably more of a clean one. The second one at the NHL level, Marshall knows where to hit a guy where there's any padding and obviously he's taking that cross check right to the ribs for Shimmick. I mean, that's frustrating enough. I think the the next piece that everyone you know out there is probably talking about and largely are frustrated by is the fact that nobody on the ice for the sharks or their or throughout the game really came after Marshall show really anybody on the, on the golden Knights. And that's disappointing at a lot of levels, frankly, uh, for, you know, a team where you need to be standing up for a guy who's doing everything right for you. Absolutely. No. And, and Bob said as much as well, you know, he was, he was not at all happy with the response. He wants them to be uh, teammates, not just on the ice, but also off the ice and, you know, vice versa, obviously. So um, for them to kind of sit there and stare at it and hurdle have made the comment too, you know, I need to do something. That's my fellow countryman and, uh, and my teammate, and I need to be able to step up and, you know, hurdles, not a guy that's going to drop the gloves very often or anything like that. But, you know, when you see your player kind of get ran like that, somebody, anybody on the ice should step up and respond. And in this case, there was just no response whatsoever. So uh, Bob really gave it to him. He talked to him, you know, post game and, and probably between periods saying, hey, you guys need to start acting like a team out here. Uh, stick up for each other. And generally speaking, it's only been Evander Kane who is the guy that comes in and does that. So to be able to see as these games progress, uh, more and more of these guys kind of stepping up for each other. We saw uh, some of the younger guys on defense, um, I think it was Clayson and uh, Kanijov, these guys kind of stepping up and shoving guys out of the net saying, hey, get out of here, that's my goalie. Or, uh, you know, they didn't like the way, you know, somebody was hit and they kind of get in their face a little bit. And that's not just Evander Kane. So it seems like that little talking to might have gone a little bit of a, a longer way, which is not such a bad thing. And speaking of Kane, Bob was not happy at all with Evander Kane taking the penalties that he did in this game. Um, VGK is definitely 
in Evander Kane's head. Um, it's it's one of those things where, you know, Ryan Reeves knows what he's doing. He's laughing every time he takes Evander Kane to the penalty box with him, and it's not productive for the team. And I've said this before, Marshall, and, and Aaron certainly knows, I would much rather have Evander Kane on the ice, scoring goals, making plays, uh, crushing bodies, than fighting a guy who's a fourth liner and a goon and just because you want to show that you're, you know, better than him, fisticuffs or whatever, I would, I would rather not have him in the box. I'd rather have him on the ice. And um, I think that's one of the things that Bob Bugner was uh, very upset with about uh, Evander Kane in that game. Yeah, I think. That, I mean, this is sort of the the reaction I think from Kane when he's the only one who's really responding, right? I think this was the big question mark with Dylan and Barkley Goodrow not coming back or you know just going elsewhere um, not necessarily of their own choice uh, in the last two seasons and I don't think really backfilled anybody who's got that kind of sandpaper and the ability to take the load off of Vander Kane and I don't think he's got the like I think he needs to mature a little bit as well to make sure he just doesn't take stupid penalties and just run around for no reason but I feel like rightly he feels like he's got to you know lead the charge at the on the physicality and um, it leads to what you saw in the game against Vegas. Absolutely. And uh, when we talk about Shimmick having to leave the game early, uh, unfortunately, we didn't lose one, but two uh, <laughs> defensemen, two top four defensemen, no less. Uh, yeah, so Carlson uh, left the game early. Uh, I guess he, uh, he, he injured his groin, but it's not the same injury that he had from before. And if I remember, the first time he got injured, it was the groin. Well, it was with San Jose. It was the groin. Yeah. The second time, it was the groin, but it wasn't the same groin. And mm-hmm. then now this time, it's the groin. But how many groins does the human body have? That's a good question. I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure it's less than three, uh, <laughs> if I had to guess. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Again, not a doctor, but uh, either there's one central area or there's two areas where the legs connect or what I, I don't know. So apparently uh, it's, it's a different groin. I, I, I sure. Why not? So um, this is again, one of those things where it's, it's some people hate it. Some people don't mind it, but when you get this lower body injury and they don't tell you anything about what's going on and they tell you that, Oh, it's not the thing that I've had before. And you just can't help but think they're just lying at this point. Right. Um, regardless, I've always stuck up for Eric Carlson saying, you know, the guy is a phenomenal talent. Um, a, a lot of the times, maybe it's things like he makes a, a really sharp pass and it just explodes off of like Kevin LeBanc's stick or something, right? So you, mm-hmm. it's hard to blame the guy passing the puck when he makes the pass and the other guy just can't receive it, right? So I kind of have a hard time blaming him for that kind of stuff. Having said that, and, I, and again, I don't, I don't like this idea that he's the glass uh, cannon guy. He's made out of glass, right? I don't like that that comparison and that uh, analogy for, for Eric Carlson. Cause I don't think it's really warranted. Like the, the Achilles tendon, he got stepped on. He can't, it's not like he just got injured. Somebody slices Achilles tendon. He can't help that. Right. Yeah. Um, I think anybody would have the same problem. It doesn't mean that you're made out of glass. However, um, even I have to admit now uh, that this contract is really not looking good for the San Jose Sharks. The guy can't get through a whole season He's spending a lot of time on the injury reserve. Do I still think he's a very good player? Absolutely. And when he comes back and he's 100%, actually 100%, can he absolutely run this team and and give them the push they need from the blue line going forward to score some goals and make some offense? Absolutely, I believe that, 100%. But he's not in the lineup often enough to get it done. Well, I think it's a combination of not in the lineup. I mean, if you go back, I think January 2019, right, that was the stretch where he looked 
amazing, right? In the first season, was healthy. People adjusted to how he plays. They could anticipate what he was going to do, which is like a double problem, right? He's got to be healthy. And then everyone's – he's such a cerebral player in addition to just a, a phenom. Like, people have to know where to be when he's moving the puck. Then he, if they don't, he gets frustrated and tries to do too much and you end up with um, – a lot of turnovers that don't make a lot of sense, even though I think he's thinking the game correctly. Uh, I agree with you. I think the, the unfortunate Band-Aid boy, glass groin stuff starting to be a lot more deserved. And uh, we were talking about it in the lead up to the the broadcast. But, um, you know, one of the questions I've been bouncing around my own head, does Hasso Plattner have enough money? I think he does. Hopefully he's got the will. You know, if you ever if you ever needed to or felt like, you know, this contract and Carlson just can't perform, um, you know, long-term IR maybe at some point. If he if the if the groin, I mean, growing three times in three years, like that's starting to be that doesn't get fixed, right? That that's that can kill people's career. I, I don't know if it's that dire yet, but um it's something to think about for sure. Well, but it's a different groin every time. So <laughs> if he gets injured again, says it's the groin, but it's not the same thing. I'm done. Um, no. So, uh, yeah, I think I like what you said there. You know, it's a, it's a guy who is, who's got the work ethic, who's talented, but um, for whatever reason, he's just not able to get it done. Uh, someone who is far younger and doesn't play defense and fits uh, half of that bill um, is, uh, Dylan Gambrell. Now he's able to get it done. And I've been a guy that's been looking at Dylan, Dylan Gambrell and saying, you know, I just, I don't like his game. I don't think he's ready for the NHL. This was last season. Um, whatever he did. Okay. I don't know how many times a day he was eating his Wheaties or what the case is, but this kid is so strong on the puck. Now he's, he's smart with the puck. He's quick with the puck. Now there's a lot of things about his game that I really, really love. And I couldn't help but notice in this game, that they actually started off with the Gambrell line um, dur- during the game. The, the the first puck drop, right, was Gambrell's line out there. Not Couture, not Hurdle, it was Gambrell. So um, it just kind of prompted me to ask this question. I was in the uh, the post-game interviews with uh, Bob Boogner and some of the players, and I actually got to ask Bob uh, this question here. So go ahead, uh, Super Producer Jason, we'll roll this clip. Hey, Coach. Um, you started the game with Gambrell line, and I noticed that after the first goal, you responded by immediately putting him back on the ice. Can you just say a little bit about the confidence level with that line? Yeah, I thought that, uh, you know, we asked that line to be an energy line, and, uh, um, you know, I thought Gambrell, um, obviously, he creates speed with his, uh, you know, and, and you know, it, it's unfortunate he hasn't created a lot of offense yet because he's, he's played well, um, you know, and I thought that uh, Gabriel provided us, you know, good grit on that line, and, and you know, Marcus, uh, was, you know, up and down. I thought I liked that line, but, uh, um, yeah, I think, you know, at home, um, a little easier to match obviously. And, and, uh, um, you know, that, that line, uh, uh, Pete plays is Pete plays four lines. So it allows you as a, uh, the home coach to obviously play four lines and which we wanted to do. And, you know, we played some, a lot of hockey, so we got to roll our bench and I thought that line did a good job. Yeah. So yeah, Bob Boogner really liking the, uh, the Gambrell line and, uh, all the things that they bring to the table. Um, I'm going to say one more thing, actually, uh, Carlson, he, he, when he was out and there was a man in the box, which by the way, uh, Aaron in the comments here had said he's pulled his own groin on either side of his legs. It's definitely different, but that's only two sides, not three. So <laughs> there you go. Um, there, there, there is no third groin. It's a magical thing. Uh, however, having said that, uh, when Carlson was out and they had a man in the box, I, I kind of had to just check my glasses to make sure that I wasn't seeing Kinesia because I saw a seven, 
but all I saw was the seven. Dylan Gambrell had a couple shifts playing defense, even on the PK. So um, that blew my mind. I'm going, okay, uh, I guess they just really needed a guy. Uh, so actually, when Logan Couture came on for that post game, I got to ask Logan about that. So we'll go ahead and roll that. Or not. <laughs> uh, Dylan Gambrell. And with Carlson uh, out near the end there, um, did Dylan Gambrell just draw the short straw? Did he volunteer? Uh, I don't know if he volunteered. I volunteered. I got turned down, though. Um, <laughs> I played a few few uh, overtime shifts a few years ago in, in, uh, with Pete, so I, I figured I could go back there. But uh, Gamby did a good job. I mean, when you get down to four and then you got a guy in the box on the back end, you're going to need some bodies back there. So uh, a few guys were, were throwing their hat in the ring, and uh, Gamby was picked. I thought he did a good job. Thank you, Super Producer Jason. Yeah, so, um, you know, as he calls him, Gamby, uh, you know, got got picked to, to be out there playing defense. Now, I, I don't think that's one of those things that you just kind of throw anybody out there. I think you've got a lot of trust in Dylan Cambrell defensively to be out there. He's playing alongside Mark Edward Vlasic. Now, some people, you know, aren't very high on Vlasic, but if you're going to be out there with anybody, you know, the guy who's spent his entire career trying to be defensive – is probably the guy that you want next to you if you're a forward trying to play defense, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I would think so. Uh, I was gonna. I didn't have a chance to do it before the the show. I guess we, we should have thought about it, Paul. But uh, Gambrell, I didn't look back through his junior or college career. I wonder if he has you know a couple of shifts or a couple seasons playing um, defenseman a little bit like Burns as you know forward and defenseman over the years. Uh, I, I bet he might have something there just that would make him a better pick for putting on the back line. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? I have no idea. One guy who uh, I do know would have uh, paired very well with Vlasic and Lundy with the $1.99 Super Chat says, if only we had Braun. Oh, Lundy. Uh, Marshall, if you've not been following along with, with Lundy here, he's uh, just about every show uh, he makes a comment about uh, wanting to have Braun back. And uh, we certainly do appreciate uh, the uh, the Super Chat there, Lundy, but I think the Braun ship has sailed. Uh, I'm very sorry to inform you of that. Having said that, the last thing I want to talk about with this game, and it was, again, another post-game thing I got to ask Logan. You know, Jonathan Becker, uh, president of the San Jose Sharks, had shared some images previously of SAP Center being uh, going through some changes, undergoing upgrades to the uh, the coolant, the piping that goes underneath the ice surface. And it being their first game back on home ice, I wanted to ask someone, and I wanted to ask actually Bob, but I didn't get the opportunity. Uh, they they kind of cut me off. That's okay. Uh, but so Logan was there, and I asked Logan. I said, you know, uh, what's the what's been like the quality of the ice uh, now that you guys are back? So actually, that's the last quick we'll roll from this game. Go ahead, Super Producer Jason. Hey Logan, um, the SAP Center had some work done to the coolant system under the ice uh, during the COVID break. There, uh, did you notice anything different about the quality of the ice today compared to seasons past? Yeah, it was great. Uh, you know, the last five minutes it got a little snowy, um, but that's that's the way that. The, the ice in the NHL usually is. It, it gets a, a little um, slower at the end of periods, but uh, compared to what it has been in the past, you know, not that we have had terrible ice here. That's never an excuse, you know, but uh, I thought the ice was very, very good uh, at the start of every period. And I asked that question specifically because I wanted to be able to share that feedback with Jonathan Becker, although I'm sure he's got the feedback from the players anyway. But uh, anything else that you wanted to talk about with this game in particular? Uh, well, as I wish they had that system up in Tahoe today for the Tahoe series since uh, the ice was not quite up to snuff. Uh, in fact, we're missing the uh, second and third periods, I think, of that game going on right now, latest game of the day. Yeah. I guess the other question I had for you, Paul, and maybe it's the, the next game as well, 
you know, the Sharks weird start to the season, obviously a very weird start just with COVID for everybody, but with the Sharks in particular having to be in Arizona, just getting their first home game were what uh, I'm jumping to the end here, 14 games in the season. If you count tonight for the played games for the Sharks, do you, um, do you think we have a good feel for the the team here with the mix of being on the road the whole time? Or do you think we need to see more time at home with the homestand coming for it to be really, um, I don't know, uh, honest representation of what the Sharks actually have in their lineup? Um, and I, I guess the reason I'm asking it on the, the game against Vegas, first home game, I don't know if home ice for the Sharks even matters at this point or not. You know, other than the last change, it's just hard to – to think about whether that really drives or changes how they're going to play or not. But I don't know if you have an opinion on it or, or what. Yeah. Um, I mean, ever the optimist for, for me. Right. So I'm kind of in the boat where, you know, yeah, we have a lot of home games left. Um, it's, it's the proportions are so tilted in our favor as the season goes on. Right. Because we've done so many away games uh, right out of the gate there. Um, but you're right. You know, things like the small things like the the last change. I mean, those are things that the coach gets to control. Right. And he hasn't had the opportunity to control that through all these other games. Now, let's take a look at our record. We're just about 500. Right. So um, if you're you were to tell me that this team that was supposed to be bottom of the barrel when everyone was trashing on them before the season even started, saying we're going to be the worst team in the NHL or, or we're ready for a draft pick and all the other stuff, we're going to get a high pick, everything else. Right. Um, if you were to tell me that we'd be close to 500 and the majority of the games would have been on the road, I mean, I would have taken that, you know, at, by comparison to where everybody else had us. So when you say, do you think we have a good gauge for where we are as a team? On the one hand, I, I do because I feel like we've seen a lot of what the team is capable of, right? We've seen them bounce back from games. We've seen them kind of falter, and we know that that's going to happen. We've seen them have great, incredible periods, and then they don't play the full 60 minutes. And I kind of expect that's more or less what we're going to see out of this team kind of as the season goes on. Having said that, no, I don't think that we do know necessarily because this coaching staff is still instilling – all of these different uh, systems and different methodologies of play. And it's, it's starting, you can tell. And they even said it too. It's starting to gel. It's starting to crystallize, right? It's starting to become a part of their game where they're not thinking about it anymore. They're just running the system and they're able to roll four lines. They're able to play the Gambrell line as the first line out and the first line that comes out after the other team scores a goal. So I think all those things kind of together, it points it in, or I, I should say it, um, it kind of shines a nice, nicer light on the situation, even if we've had, you know, maybe, you know, like I said, about 500 record, it kind of shows that this team is capable of more. So, I mean, I, I kind of where we're at right now, I like where we're at, all things considered by comparisons to where we should have been. But I also think that we've just got so much more um, in, in, in that we haven't done many uh, uh, games at home. And in that we've just got so many more guys that are, are really learning the system and really playing the system now. And I think we got more guys that are coming into their own. Rudolph's Balsers scored a couple goals tonight. That's yep. not a guy that I would have thought would just come to the lineup and just start producing. Uh, Ryan Donato has stepped up. Uh, he was supposed to be the third-line guy, and then he's the second-line guy, and he's kind of floating back and forth. But every single night, he gives that effort. You know, we saw Evander Kane after the Vegas game have a really rough game, and then he comes back in the, the, later on this week, and he looks very strong. And we'll talk about those things later on, too. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think in, in one hand, I feel like, yeah, I get a gauge for what, what this team is and what they're capable of. On the other hand, I feel like 
we still have a higher ceiling than what we've seen. So who knows how high it can go? I don't know. How do you see it? But I think I asked him the question just because I'm just curious about, you know, home ice. Does it matter this year at all for the Sharks or anybody for that matter? But the Sharks in particular, given the weirdness to the start, um, I tend to agree. I, th- I think there's we haven't seen everything yet. I think there's a higher ceiling than they've got. I don't know how high it really is. I think there is um, still some some pieces that we don't have. But uh, to be 500, uh, 14 games in, which is quarter of the season almost, uh, given how short it's going to be this year. I mean, that's not a not a bad place to be for the team. I think everyone thought we had coming into the season. Yeah, no, I'll, uh, I'll definitely agree with you on that one there. So let's move on to uh, the Anaheim game. That was a three, two win in regulation at home. Um, you know, again, I think it, going back to what you were talking about with, with home ice advantage and whatnot beyond just the coaching. Um, I think there is something to be said for just having a home cooked meal and being with your family when you can, um, when you're on the road for that long, even Bob said that we look like a team that's been on the road for 35 days. You know, they look tired. They look like they just want to be out of there. And, and when we interviewed or Aaron interviewed Steph Nason, um, he said as much as well, you know, the second we had the opportunity to go home, we left. Um, I mean, there's a mental side to this too, right? Not just strategic, like, like I was saying with the coaches, there's a mental side to this. And I think that even just being able to go home, right? Just to go home, not to be in, in a, in a hotel room every single day is something that is going to help help them uh you know with their games going forward and and hopefully that is the case because I, I really do think that this team is still capable of a playoff spot but we'll see how that goes anyway back to anaheim again uh three two win in regulation was there something in particular you want to talk about this i know like john leonard scored his first goal in this one so uh that's definitely a topic uh go ahead and take it away i mean john leonard scoring that's always good to see somebody uh get to uh put one in the back the net for the first time and get to keep the puck. I think afterward, if I saw the video correctly, uh, I don't know. I mean, Mario Ferraro probably more of the story of the game, given he seemed like he had bad luck than good luck as he went throughout the game. Um, someone who, uh, through no fault of his own, was kind of scoring on his own team. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, first of all, what we'll do is uh, again, we've got probably just two more videos here, but just uh, one where I was asking John Leonard about uh, adjusting to the NHL, and um, I kind of. I kind of put him on the spot because I, I told him that don't answer it this way. Let's see what else you got, and we'll, we'll see what he says. Go ahead. You know, you always hear from rookies that the, the speed is the hardest thing to adjust to at the NHL level. Uh, besides that, what would you say is, like, the next toughest to adjust to? Yeah, obviously speed's a big part of it. Um, you know, I think the other thing is everyone can make plays, right? Um, you know, in the smallest areas, whether they're – making a play through your stick or, um, you know, trying to get behind you with a, with an area pass. So I think, you know, just being aware of who's out there is obviously a huge part too. Um, just, you know, playing hard at all times. And um, like I said, those little plays that, you know, every guy on the ice can make is, you know, makes a big difference. Thanks and congrats again. Thank you. Yeah, so I tried to take the cliche, uh, it's it's so fast, away from him. And uh, I, I like that I did that because he gave me an answer that I wasn't really expecting. The uh, Everybody is capable of making plays and, and making plays in tight. Um, you kind of take that for granted, I think, when you watch NHL hockey, right? You just think that everybody's just capable. And, um, you know, for a guy coming in from college to go straight into the NHL and then, you know, you, you, you have these guys that everybody is – better than you essentially and able to make these plays in really small tight areas. I just thought that was a really interesting uh, response from him and something that kind of got away from, Oh, the NHL is so fast, you know? 
I like the uh, the classic, you know, stoic hockey player first NHL, you know, goal. And he's like, yeah, whatever, it's fine. Like, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Act like you've been there, right? <laughs> uh, so now, okay, now we'll now we'll hit on Mario Ferraro. Okay, so. Poor Mario. Um, I love this guy. I can't say enough about him. He's got all the energy in the world and he's got all the talent in the world. And I think we need to clone more, you know, we need to clone more uh, Mario Ferraros uh, for this world of hockey that we live in. Um, However, the first goal against was one that goes in off of his skate. Um, He was trying to play defense. He was trying to catch up, got a little overzealous. And when he uh, threw his skate out there, it uh, bumped the puck, slid in between Brent Burns' legs and then underneath Jones' pad. And uh, he probably did not feel too hot after that one. So um, one goal against, thanks to Mario Ferraro. And then the second goal, unfortunately, he was trying to stop a pass. It was a cross-creaser. And uh, it looked like it was a really phenomenal goal, um, except he got a stick on it. He got the blade on it. And the puck uh, flips up, deflects over Martin Jones' shoulder, goes in. So he's uh, responsible, sort of, for two goals against in that game. And, of course, the Sharks end up winning 3-2. to two. So uh, both of those goals came off of Mario Ferraro and there was a point in the game even where uh, he was the, the puck was down low and he kind of pounced on top of it and it looked like he was about to bump it in again I go he's going for the anti-hat trick uh, this poor guy my goodness so uh, I don't know any do you, you have any thoughts I know you brought it up earlier do you want to say something uh, I'm an anti-hat trick I like that uh, <laughs> phrase I think you covered it well Okay, good. Yeah, and you always hear about the reverse sweep, which to me makes no sense anyway. So I figure I'll make a, a phrase that makes no sense either, the anti-hat trick. Okay, so uh, we actually do have a video. This is the last video I think we have uh, about this one here. I actually got to ask Bob Bugner uh, about Mario Ferraro and him not getting rattled uh, for, for kicking those two goals in. Hey, Coach. Uh, Mario accidentally scored twice in his own net, but the uh, the whole game he played with tremendous energy. How important is it? for a young player to not let the mistakes impact their game. Yeah. He's the guy that's, uh, you know, he, he's been playing against top lines uh, uh, most of the year and uh, it's easy. It's easy to get rattled as a young guy. And, and, and Merrill's one of those guys that he's just uh, um, he's, he's got the ability to put things behind him. Um, you know, and again, he's, you know, he has a job to do. He played against that Raquel line all night and uh, um, you know, and you could tell um, how he could t- take t- time and space away off of that line and uh, it's just it's good to see him regroup it's good to see him not get rattled and uh, you know look who's out there at the end of the game when we need a big uh, you know a big play defensively it's Mario so coach having some uh, really nice things to say about Mario Ferraro again uh, a guy who's very young but um, wise I guess in, in terms of hockey and not letting it it shake his confidence there yeah I mean I think it's impressive that I think he's been impressed in the last three seasons now where just I think the mental game for how he plays, I mean, generally doesn't get rattled. I think he makes just good decisions uh, throughout the game. And you can see that Budner and um, DeBoer before, you know, trusted him in tough situations. Uh, and that's what you want in a young defenseman if you can, if you can get it. Absolutely. Uh, and the Sharks seem to be getting a lot of that actually uh, this season with a lot of their younger defensemen. Uh, Kellen Foster here saying the taw trick, which is – hat backwards Mm. trying to do a little play on anti-hat trick i like that oh i gave you the shout out kellen okay you happy now there you go um (laughs) and of course the other big story uh for this one with social media and and whatnot the sharks win 
without Eric Carlson in the lineup. Oh boy, here we go, Marshall. Here we go. Uh, Sheng Peng had an article, and I'm not going to go through it right now, but it articulates about how the Sharks are still better uh, with Carlson, and that saying that they're they're not as I'm sorry that they are better without him is complete nonsense when you look at the numbers. So um, I understand they got their win without him, and more of this will develop as we continue to talk about the Sharks during uh, this week here, but. Um, yeah, I'm with, I'm with the Shang on this one. It's, it's kind of ridiculous to think that, uh, playing without Eric Carlson makes you a better team. I understand they got the result, but, uh, I think the numbers, the underlying numbers kind of do a little bit more of the talking there. Um, one other thing here, and I'll see if I can figure it out. Yes. Uh, Ricky had said, no, I mean, we, I guess him and Anthony Sanchez had some back and forth there. Um, I mean, we had the number three last season. We just traded it for Carlson. So if you're talking about the number three pick, Again, if we didn't get Carlson, if everyone thinks we would have been a better team, that number three pick would not have been a number three pick. It would have been something else. So um, it's not really apples to apples there. I understand why everybody wants to say that to make it look like it was just that much worse. But realistically, it would not have been a number three pick because you just you never know how the season would have shaken out if you didn't have Carlson on the team. And again, a lot of people think that we would have done better without Eric Carlson. So if they, you truly believe that, it would not have been a number three pick. There you go. Um, yeah, so that's kind of all I really wanted to talk about. The more you know. That's all I really wanted to talk about with uh, the Anaheim game. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to bring up, but otherwise I'm ready to move on. Let's move on. Good to go. Okay, so St. Louis, the next guys on the chopping block here. Unfortunately, the Sharks do lose this game 3-2. Uh, to two. It was an overtime game, though, so we do pull a point out of it, which is, again, if you were to tell me that this team – who's supposed to be so bad is going to go and play against St. Louis, who was supposed to be so good. And we're going to end up, you know, I'll fast forward just a little bit. We win tonight. We lose, but in overtime, the last time we played them, that's three out of four points. If you were to tell me we were to pull three out of four points and we're supposed to be the worst team in the league, I'm happy with it. Right. So, uh, there, I mean, yeah, not, not a bad result. So, uh, the pregame skate though, apparently, and none of the reporters and media folks saw this at all because they can't be there. Uh, but apparently Bob laid into the team for uh, having a weak pace during the drill. And I can't say the words, but he says, get effing serious. Is this a effing joke to you guys? Uh, so yeah, he really, he really <laughs> dropped the hammer on these guys uh, during the, uh, the pregame skate there. And I think it, it, it resonated with the group. And I think they came out with uh a little bit more effort than than they usually do. Um, kind of show the coach, hey, no, we're, we we mean this. We take pride in our work. Um, so I uh, kind of a kick in the pants by Coach Bob, which I, I think he's been doing a little bit more and more lately. Yeah, I mean, I think if the, the scoring and the wins aren't there, you need at least the effort uh, and seeing them put in the work. And I think that's what, uh, I would agree with him that that's something they weren't doing the last three, four games uh, until the St. Louis game when he yelling at him and tonight. Uh, and I think that that's, uh, you, you need to, you can't have, you know, a lack of performance from a, from a scoring and winning and then a lack of effort, sandpaper jam. Like that's like, why even show up if you're not going to have uh, at least one of those things, if not both, uh, which I can appreciate why he was yelling at the team. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, they, they did play very well all game long, I thought. Um, and this is, again, another game where, like you said, the effort was there. The effort was apparent, right? Um, you can see them churning and, and, and trying hard. 
which is not something that we see all the time and something I've been critical of Eric Carlson before as well. You know, I would like to see more out of Eric Carlson. I feel like he glides around a lot. I feel like he stands around a lot. He uses his stick and he uses his stick well, but at the NHL level, kind of holding your stick out there uh, doesn't do enough, right? There's enough guys that are capable and strong on the puck and strong on their stick uh, to kind of get around that. So I would like to see Eric Carlson do do more. And of course, he wasn't playing in this game, but that was just kind of a critique that I've had of that particular player. But this is something that kind of the entire team needs to do, right? The entire team needs to play with that gusto, play with that effort. And actually, Kevin Kurz had asked Brent Burns uh, about that the effort that night, saying, hey, it looks like you guys, you know, really putting in a lot of effort tonight. And Burns was kind of blunt about it. He says, you know, I'd like to think that we always try hard, that we always put in the effort. You know, we take pride and coming to work every day. And I think people forget that, that this is this is a job for them. It's, this is their work. You know, they, they don't go in there and just kind of, hey, it's fun, goof off, whatever. Like, they have a good time. But at the end of the day, this this is their job. This is what they do. And they take they do take a lot of pride in it. So, um, you know, again, further furthermore, with that interview, Burns had said that, you know, he's, he's never really thinking to himself, like, I'm going to take the night off. Um, you know, he says, it may look like it sometimes. It may look like I'm sleepwalking out there, but I'm not. <laughs> he goes, sometimes, you know, you're trying harder because your team is behind. And sometimes when you're trying harder, you're not playing smarter and you end up making more mistakes and you end up not being in the right spot. And it looks like you're not trying hard, but really you're trying even harder because you guys are behind. Right. So um, I just thought it was funny because it was this really awkward back and forth between Curtis and Burns. And I encourage you guys, if you get the opportunity to check out that media, um, that, that media role, that, that video, and you can see the questions being asked. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny um, how they go back and forth and <laughs> he used a word. And if you guys caught it, uh, he did use a word that, that obviously I'm not going to say, and that they clipped out of the video. Uh, he says, I don't mean to be a, <laughs> uh, but uh, it was just kind of funny hearing Burns kind of, um, you know, drop the filter for a second there, but, uh, yeah, anyway, so yeah, it, it was just really cool, uh, being able to see, uh, or, or hear from Brent Burns talking about, you know, this is, again, this is something we take pride in is we're not out there slacking off, even if it looks like it. So, um, I, you know, I, I didn't want to ever kind of question their effort ever again, really, after that one. So uh, there you go. Uh, Jones played uh, very well in this game as well. Uh, he is uh, making some really big saves. He's looking like he's in a lot better form lately. I don't know if that has to do with maybe the tongue lashing that he has received uh, over the past couple of games by Coach Bob. I think there was uh, the 6-2 game where he was saying, you know, we expect better. Um, that uh, is not up to our standard of goaltending, and it shouldn't be up to his. If that was maybe something that kickstarted it, if it was, you know, Devin Dubnik, uh, you know, working with him, they had always said before the season started, Dubnik had said, you know, we want to be a, a tandem. We want to push each other. We want to get each other, uh, you know, positive vibes, getting in the right direction. You know, we want to compete, but in a positive light. So I don't know if that was part of it. If Coach Evgeny Nabokov had kind of found uh, a little part of the game that he wanted him to work on and kind of drill over and over on certain things. So, I mean, who knows, but whatever it is, it seems to be working out for Martin Jones. He's looked phenomenal these last few games. And uh, even though Dubnik gets the start tonight's game, I thought every time that Jones has played in this last little stretch here for this week, at least, he's looked pretty solid. Yeah, I think, Paul, I definitely, you know, Jones has given the team a chance to to win, made saves where you need the save, uh, and you kind of have to depend on the rest of the the forwards and, and wingers to, to put the, the puck in the opposite net. Um, I like the the tandem of Dubnik and Jones. I like that sort of positive competition for sure. Uh, I also uh, have a fun fact for you. Uh, mm. Did you know who the two tallest players on the San Jose Sharks are? 
I'm trying to remember if uh, it's got to be Brent Burns. I would think is one, and I, is Jones the other one. Jones it's, is six four. It's Dubnik and Dubnik. Martin Jones. Really, Dubnik is six six. I had to look that up. Oh. He was a giant in That's the game right. day, and I saw him standing next to, to Burns, a couple of players in the, the Blues. I'm like, this guy's a. He's giant. He's huge, uh, and he's the tallest guy on the team. I didn't know. That. And then Jones is uh, Jones and Burns are listed at the same height. Uh, I think they're they're listed at six four, if I'm correct. Yeah, I think it's six three for each. At least that's what uh, the NHL site has. But okay. uh, I was surprised that both goalies are the tallest guys on the team. Didn't know that. If you're going to be the tallest guy on the team, uh, goalie is not a bad position to be playing. For sure. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, and the more you know. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, again. Jones look good, but I do also want to bring back something that I've said several times on this show. As the defense looks better, Jones's numbers will look better. I don't think anyone can deny that the defense, even with Clayson and Malosh and uh, Kanijov playing in a top four role now and Ferraro playing in a top two role now, the defense has looked pretty solid. And I think a lot of that, again, has to come down to Bob's system and the guys buying into it. And it crystallizing is the word that he uses, right? They, they, they don't have to think about it as much anymore. They're just playing it now. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the lower goals against, uh, although tonight wasn't really that case in terms of lower goals against. But I do think that they played some solid periods in the first and the third. They basically shut them out. It all happened again in that, that notorious second period, right? But I think all in all, the defensive stepped up. Played really well, and in that means the forwards as well, not just the defensive pairings, but the forwards have been helping out as well and clearing pucks out and only giving the goaltenders shots that they can really see really well. Not only, but uh, the, a lot of the majority of the shots, I think, are, are ones that are very savable, and the goalies are making the saves. So, again, as the defense plays better, I feel like, again, those, those goaltending numbers, those aren't really the goalie numbers. They're kind of like team numbers for me, right? Because, again, if the team's playing well, the goalie numbers are going to look great. So, um, you know, again, Jones has been good. Don't get me wrong. But I also want to give credit where I feel credit is due is that the, the defense is looking really good. And again, Clayson and Malak, they have been absolutely steady. And Couture and Jones both commented as much uh, in the postgame when I asked them the question about these two guys. You know, how do you see it? How, how they've stepped up and, and whatnot. And Jones is saying, yeah, they've been great in front of us. Um, and, and Couture saying the same thing. They've been really steady back there, reliable. So, uh, again, my, my hat's off to the two guys who have played, played no games really with this team whatsoever. Um, you know, Clayson obviously uh, getting pulled in and Malosh being on the Barracuda and jumping in. So he's a little, you know, at least familiar, but he's not played with these guys before really. So uh, awesome job by them stepping in. Also, again, Ferraro is still running at 110%. He's an energizer bunny. He doesn't know 100%. He only knows the top of the top speed. Um, this guy is, you know, whenever there's a puck in the corner, he's the first one to go after it. Whenever there's a guy who's got the puck uh, and he's nearby, he's after him. And he's on top of him. I love this guy's energy. I love his compete level. I love his skill level. There's just nothing to not like about Mario Ferraro. And even uh, Mark Edward Vlasic, who a lot of people have been down on this season, obviously. Um, you know, there was a clip of, I think, Hedekin had kind of broke it down and said, you know, Here's, here's Mark Edward Vlasic in the corner battling with these two guys, and there's two blue players. And one of them had the puck, and he's in there. He's got his hand on him, and he's shoving him, and he's got a stick in there, and the puck squirts out the other way, and Vlasic flips over to the other guy. And he went back and forth two or three times, and he was looking very active, very strong in his skates, very strong with his stick, 
Um, and he just looked like he was ready to get uh, to, to play. He was, it was a gamer, at least in that moment, you know, I know that there are times where he's not doing it for anybody and I get that, but um, all around, I think that the defense has done just a marvelous job uh, playing around the goaltending or the, you know, Martin Jones or David Dumick, whoever it is with the absence of Eric Carlson and Roddy Shimmick. I think they've all kind of stepped up. What do you think? I mean, the three you were talking about at the start, I mean, Milosh, uh, Knizov, and Kleeson, the fact that they, to me, uh, they have not stood out, and that's a good thing, right? Like, they they look like they fit in the system. I think all three of them are bigger bodies. One of them, obviously, Kleeson's got more NHL experience, so he's actually, you'd expect him to be sort of up to the, the speed of the game. Um, but all three of them, I think, look good. Uh, big bodies, more physical than I'd say Carlson would be. I mean, Shimmick is a physical guy, but smaller uh, than the, the other three that are back there now. And to be able to just have your two starters and one of the highest paid players in the league not be playing uh, and I think not have things uh, fall apart. I mean, that's that's a credit to, I mean, system and de-coaching and everything else, but the three players who were um, starting in those second and third pairings. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you mentioned Kanijov. I didn't really get to, to say anything about him. Uh, but yeah, no, he, he looks great. Uh, he was entrusted in some time in the overtime period there as well. Uh, this is a guy who I made a comment last show saying, you know, I could see him, at least on this team, playing in the top four. And of course, now he's in the top four. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's I asked Bob about this. I said, you know, what is it about this guy, essentially? Like, how nice is it? Because like I said, tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't you the one that said, that he just kind of came out of nowhere in training camp, the abbreviated training camp that you guys said. You didn't expect him to make the team. So, you know, what can you tell me about this guy? And he says, you know, um, I got to give credit where credit's due. You know, you got to give credit to the, the, the scouting staff. You got to give credit to the training staff, the development group. Um, all these guys had a really big hand in getting him prepared and ready to go. And first of all, just finding him in the first place. So, um, you know, he didn't want to give too much credit to himself. So that's a, a nice Bob move there. Um, but yeah, so I, I think everybody playing defense right now, um, has, I've had good things to say about them. And I think you're absolutely right. Not just the young guys standing out, but I haven't had anybody really stand out too much that I really want to point the finger at and say, gosh, this guy is just repeatedly, you know, not doing the right thing. And I, you know, before Eric Carlson was injured, he was one of the guys I would point at and go, you know, he's not moving his feet. He's still not moving his feet. Every time I look at him, he's never moving his feet. Uh, until he gets the puck and then he takes off and everything. Right. But on the defensive side, he just kind of stands still. And that always bothered me with these guys, at least this six group, uh, or this group of six, I should say, I, again, you're right. They don't stand out to me. So um, that, that is a good thing. And I think uh, as long as we kind of continue on this trajectory, this is what I was talking about before. I feel like the trajectory for the sharks could go up as well. I feel like we could be a better team than what we've shown uh, previous and I think these last couple of games show more what the Sharks are actually capable of not necessarily that they'll sustain that but that's more playing to their capabilities I, I would say um, let's see what else do I got here Kane and Hurdle had opportunities yeah it's this so Kane and Hurdle had uh, chances to score here okay there was kind of wide open net on a couple of these and and uh, I think it was Hurdle had an open net and Kane had a breakaway or something to that effect and it could have been a win they could have put the game away and it's not bringing up this point to dog on them so much, but it's bringing up the point to say they generated opportunities still. There was still an opportunity for them. It wasn't like we got ran over and they were pinning us in our zone and we ended up losing 3-2 in overtime. We had opportunities. We were getting chances. They were still playing hard. They didn't give up. So, um, uh, again, this is another bright spot for this team for me. Um, I don't know if you've got something else you want to add to that or if you wanted to jump to the next little topic here. 
Well, I mean, I'll take I'll take the other side of that for a second. I think Tomash and Timo Meyer. We talked about how the defensemen uh, weren't standing out. That's a good thing. I think Timo Meyer and Tomash Hurdle, you just mentioned, probably the two players I'd call out for the last four, five, six games. There's moments where they've actually shown up, but for what we, I think, the Sharks have hoped for their development and ramp and kind of the load they can they can shoulder for this team, I'd say neither one of them has created enough, right? And they need to be the people driving the play. They need to be people creating space. I mean, Tomas is a big boy, plays like Yamri Yager if, when, when he's really playing well and possesses the puck. And I haven't seen enough of that uh, in the last two weeks and probably just the season entirely where, you know, he started, I think, hot and then sort of has faded a bit. And I you know don't notice him for stretches of at least today's game and even the, the prior St. Louis game. Yeah, I would agree with you on that one. I think those are a couple guys I could definitely do more. Kachur and Kane don't fall in that category for me. Even Kevin LeBanc played pretty well uh, as of recent. But, um, you know, for for me, my complaint with Timo was, dude, put your shoulder down and go to the net. That's where you're you're the best, right? That's where your game is its strongest, is when you're using that ridiculous body of yours to to, to kind of bulldoze your way and force your way uh, into those high danger uh, scoring chance areas, right? And we saw actually him today. Somebody tried to deliver a hit. I think it was Krug, uh, Krug, who tried to deliver a hit to him, and he just stood there. And Krug bounced off of him. Now Krug's not the biggest guy, but from his time in Boston, you could tell this is a guy that loves throwing his body around. Still, he might not be the biggest, but he's got a lot of energy. He's just kind of like a Mario Ferraro for me. Only obviously a lot more refined in the NHL. But I mean, he's a guy that's not going to give up on you. And for Krug to come in and try to hit Timo when Timo just stood there. It's just a testament to how strong Timo is on his skates. And I wish he would use that strength more often to bully his way into the crease, you know? Um, so I, I 100% agree with you on that one. I think Hurdle, I, I'm, I'm with you on Hurdle. I would like to see more, obviously, because, you know, it's always fun to see more out of Hurdle. But um, I think he's done a decent job. And I think he's just kind of waiting to break out of some little bit of a slump, maybe. Um, I, I know he's probably got some points in the last uh, couple of games here, but I think he's capable of more like you're saying and whatever it is, that's holding him back. I feel like it's just kind of a little confidence thing. As soon as he hits that, he'll be right back on the, uh, the, the train there. And I think he'll be okay. Um, one thing that I don't normally complain about, and I know Aaron does, and he's in the chat, so I'm going to call him out anyway, um, is that the, uh, there's some complaints about the refing in, in this game. And actually, Consequently, in the game today as well, which also happened to be in St. Louis against St. Louis. So there's kind of some conspiracy theories, I'm sure, on social media. They're throwing that one around. But I don't usually go there, because it, but it did seem a little bit lopsided uh, in that game. It seemed like there were things that were happening against the Sharks that weren't being called. Uh, and there were things that were happening uh, against the Blues that were kind of ticky-tack, and they were getting called. So, uh, again... It's not for me to sit here and say that, oh, there's a conspiracy that we're still paying for the Timo Meyer hand pass, right? I'm not, that's not what I'm, I'm saying. But I, I did want to bring it up just because social media kind of had some things to say about that. But still, uh, you know, again, all in all, St. Louis is the better team here. And I'm happy to walk away with at least just the one point uh, in this game. Again, if you were to tell me that the team that was supposed to be at the bottom of the, of the pack here was going to walk away with three out of four points, in two games against St. Louis in their barn, I'd be more than uh, ecstatic with that. So moving on to the second game here, of course, um, the Sharks do win this game uh, by a score of five to four. But uh, so Kane and Couture line, again, 
this is a line that we were talking about saying that it's, they don't fit the bill from the hurdle and, and Timo, right? They open up with uh, two goals in the first period and Kane was skating like a man possessed. Uh, he was out there moving his feet really hard. Um, and that's one of the things I love to see is that these guys, not just kind of having skill, but having work ethic and tenacity. And again, I don't want to question anybody's ethic and, and their effort on the ice because Burns kind of laid in the curves on that one already. But I think there was a difference in the tenacity, right? And I did ask about that. Uh, I think it was Logan Couture I asked after today's game about where does that tenacity come from? And he says, you know, that's this is one of those things against this type of team, you know, you you have to. You have to go after them. You have to go after their defense. And they're going to turn the puck over. They're going to force a, tur- a turnover if they go in like that. And that's one of the things that Evander Kane did. He came right in after, I think it was Bennington had the puck behind the net. And he forced him to rim that puck around the boards. And who was there? Kevin LeBanc fires it right over to Couture, who bangs it in. And it was one of those things that, you know, even though Kane doesn't get the assist on that play, that's all because of him. It's all because of that work ethic. It's all because of how hard he was chugging his legs out there. So, um, yeah, I was I was very happy with that. And, again, those, those high pressures, uh, forcing turnovers, those are things that the Sharks can continually do. Uh, to get more chances against any team. It doesn't just have to be the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, I think the compete level is what you're sort of talking about. You hear talked about by Bugner and others where um, you can just see the effort is there uh, from the likes of – I mean, Kane, is, it's, it's, a, it's obvious when it's on and obvious when it's off, but I think you can see it with other players as well. Uh, but that line in particular where they started the game, I thought it was a great first period, uh, and they were just kind of rolling. Um, and I – you could you could see St. Louis was back on its heels, and it was it was two mistakes in a row that basically led to both both goals to start the game, and came off of just the effort from the team. Very good. Okay, so let's see. Um, kind of looking through our, our little notes here. So uh, broadcasters uh, were pointing out the hard work by John Leonard and Noah Gregor. Of course, again, this comes down to the same thing I just talked about with Evander Kane, which was moving those legs. Now they had talked about this. Uh, during the broadcast saying that, you know, it, there was there was a, a kind of a loose puck and John Leonard was battling for it and not just battling with your stick, right? There's one thing you try to, you know, stick lift, get the puck and use your shoulders and everything else, but he was driving his legs. And that's one of the great things about these young guys was uh, the, the, um, the effort in the legs really more than anything else for, for me and something that Hedekin had said as well. You know, driving those legs – getting yourself moving. That's how you're going to get yourself up the ice. Uh, not just trying to play smart with your stick and trying to play smart with your shoulders, trying to body angle people off and everything else, but really using those legs. And, uh, you know, we've, we've seen this. If anybody's ever seen the movie Miracle, which I know uh, Aaron hates because he says it's not real, which is fine. Uh, but the the phrase, the legs feed the wolves. I mean, that it's the truth, right? You can have all the skills in the world, but if you can't skate and you're not trying to burn the guy that's, uh, you know, coming after you, you're not going to get there. So, you know, again, really good to see, not just in the veteran guys, those big, powerful, strong guys like Evander Kane and Timo Meyer, but the younger guys kind of taking that same boost of energy uh, from them, from the veterans and applying it to their own game, really driving home and getting scoring chances off of it because they're moving their legs. And I think that uh, a lot of times you see guys that just aren't moving out there. Again, my biggest gripe with Eric Carlson, if he would just move his legs for me, he would be uh, a much better player uh, in the eyes of pretty much all, all the haters that are on him, right? So I don't know. I, I think again for me, it, again it comes right back down to those legs, and that's what they were talking about with uh, John Leonard and Noah Gregor. So uh, yes, the, but but of course, oh those second periods, Marshall. <laughs> 
So the Sharks are up 2-0, and everything's looking great. And uh, then the second period rolls around. So uh, go ahead and take that one from here. Yeah, I think the second period season to date is our worst goal differential, and it just got worse this game, uh, plus, or sorry, minus nine or 10, I think, relative to opposition scoring. I, I don't know what to make of that. I'm sure it has nothing to do really with like the long change that happens in the second period. It's probably a lot more about, I don't know, just mental effort, average age of, you know, bottom half of the roster, making sure people are uh, locked in and ready to go when they get back on the ice after that first break. Uh, it just seems. Uh, like that's a pretty glaring weakness at the moment that that second period start and just trying to keep your foot on the gas. Absolutely. And I, I can't figure out for the life of me, mostly because I just talk about the sharks and I'm not actually in the organization, uh, but I can't figure out for the life of me why it's the second period. Cause it's always the second period. Um, uh, maybe it's the long change. I, I, I don't know. Or maybe it's just a, a bad period and we've had a lot of road games. And so the long change with not having the last change, um, Maybe that is a combination that's been killing us. I don't know. Maybe we play more games at home. The second period will look better. Who knows? But all I know is uh, in this game, the Sharks were outscored 4-2 to two in the second period. And the Sharks actually had a 3 nothing lead and a 4-1 lead, and they kind of coughed it up twice. So, um, you know, the Blues come back, and it's 4-4 to start the third period. And, you know, Bob had said that he was proud of the guys after a, a character period on, on the third period that it was. Same bouncing back after they led a, a three goal lead slip, you know, twice essentially, right? So, um, you know, it, it was nice to see them actually come out again with that effort, with that, uh, you know, this is my job, this is work. I'm going to go and put my hard hat on and get it done. Um, so, Kachur scores the uh, third goal, and the, I'm sorry, scores in the third, scores his second goal of the game, and the Sharks hold on. Now, this is one that it looked like it bounced off of Rudolph Balser's shaft of a stick there. Uh, but apparently it just sailed over it. So uh, they ended up giving it to Couture, then giving it to Balsers, and then they gave it back to Couture. Uh, just make up your mind. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anyway because, again, it was the fifth goal in the 5-4 win for the Sharks, which happened again just tonight. So, um, again, it was a, a character period for them bouncing back, not getting down on themselves. Bob was very happy with that. And actually it's pretty funny because we talked about the officiating in the previous game and how it was a little bit sketchy. Uh, tonight was again a night where the officiating was not in the Sharks' favor. And I get that there are times where one team is just not going to take penalties and the other team is. However, when you look at a lot of these plays and you see uh, the trip on Kinejov, I think is who it was, uh, you're kind of looking at that and going, that's that's an easy call. Why, why aren't we calling this, right? Um, and then the other things going the other way. You know, again, like the Sharks, Timo Meyer with the stick up, and that's just a dumb penalty. We got to stop doing that stuff, right? But when the refs are calling things kind of a little bit lopsided, you kind of wonder why that's the case. And again, I don't have any conspiracy theories, but I really wish that either you put the whistles away or you call everything that the way it's supposed to be called and nothing kind of in between. Um, because that's kind of where I think you start getting this, this lopsided effect, right? So, um, yeah, a lot of people weren't very happy with the officiating, including Logan Couture. And when asked in the post game, hey, what did you think about the officiating? <laughs> He, he gave uh, kind of a little little bit of attitude, maybe a little smile, a little smirk, uh, and said, I have no comments on the refs. So mm-hmm. very clearly he has many comments on the refs, just none that he's willing to share. Well, I'll take, I'll take the result uh, and the, the win. I, th- I mean, I thought ref- the officiating was fine other than the Timo high stick uh, where he you know, took it right in the face. They didn't call it. Um, 
it was in the second period. Uh, but I'm going to shift topics on you on the blues here, uh, Paul. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't know how many of you who uh, maybe hate this guy as much as I do, but David Perron is somebody I have not liked for a good six, seven years. Uh, going back to the famous Joe Thornton comes out of the box and just decks David Perron coming by and like knocks him out of the game. It was amazing. Loved it. It was totally legal. <laughs> no problem. Uh, and then after that, I've just hated him because he's always come after people. He's got the stupid smoked uh, lens uh, for his helmet, of which, listen, if you're Ovechkin, you can do that. If you're David Perron, you cannot do that. You're like the third guy in the NHL who does that. Like, you, you're not that good. He's, he's really not that good. And every time I watch the Blues and see him play, it makes me angry. That's that's it. That's all I got. Okay, so so yeah, the more you know. All right, so Ryan Reeves goes from St. Louis to VGK, and everyone hates uh, him with with VGK now, right? Um, so St. Louis has got to have a bad guy. You may as well be Perron. Yeah, no, he's he's a lot more of a pest than I thought he was. I thought he was more of a skill guy, but maybe that was in his earlier years. Um, and nowadays, it seems like he's he's more of that that pesty or pesky, I should say, kind of kind of player and. Um, you know, he's got, he's got, I think the most points on, on the blues team. If I, I've heard the broadcast, yeah, he's, good, he's a good player for sure. Yeah. yeah. He's a good player, but see in the same, in the same vein as like a Brad Marchand, right? Yeah. He's a really good player. Stop doing the stupid things. Stop being a turd, but that, Hey, that's part of what makes him so effective, I guess. So for Perron, maybe it's the same thing. Now, would we be saying the same thing if Evander Kane wasn't a shark? I maybe, I don't know, but um, you know, I, I, I don't really care for the guy that much, but I'm not, I, I don't have a hatred. It seems like you have, uh, some, some, maybe some childhood issues with David Perron. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a fan. Joe Thornton's not a fan either. And if Joe Thornton's not a fan, I will not be a fan. So, okay. That is fair. And for, for the record, yes, the smoky visor, get, get out of here. Dude. Yeah. Come on. Get on with it. Yeah, Jumbo wants. Uh, I don't know if Jumbo wants us to get on with it or he wants Piranha to get on with face mask, but doesn't matter. We will push on a little bit here. So again, uh, Sharks taking three out of a possible four points out of St. Louis. I'm more than happy with that. Uh, they do win that series because St. Louis only pulled two points with their win. So um, yeah, for for me, all is well. It helps us climb the standings, and you know, I think this team is going to get uh, just that much more uh, solidified in the strategies that they use, in the systems that they play, in feeling comfortable with each other. The younger guys are getting a lot of really good experience and it's not coming at the cost of wins. They're actually contributing and they're playing well. So, I mean, there's just uh, too much good stuff happening right now uh, for the Sharks. Again, the last, what was it, uh, three games, it's 2-0-1, I think. Yeah, 2-0-1, two wins and an overtime loss. The big thing, and the reason why I said the last three games wasn't just because that's like their winning record, right? Um, five out of six points. Uh, it's because they did that without Eric Carlson. <laughs> and again, a, a lot of people are going to point to this and see we're better without Eric Carlson. And uh, to me, it's, you know, again, from a numbers perspective, it no, we're not a better team without him. But from a wins perspective, it's hard to argue against that. What do you think? Uh I think it's going to be interesting, you know, him being out the three defensive lines. I'd have to go back and look at the time on the ice for each of the, each of the, the pairings, but I think it sort of helps just distribute out a little more evenly and don't have to be so top heavy. And I think that just saves everybody uh, um, from, I don't know, feeling like they got to do too much on one end, on the one end. And also, you know, the bottom pairing, they've actually got the ability to kind of get in the game, stay in the game. I think that's, 
helpful. Obviously, Carlson's going to be back in and top pairing uh, when he is healthy. Uh, to me, the more interesting thing is what are they going to do with the three sort of guys who've been trying out in the bottom two pairings? And are they going to keep Malash? Are they going to keep uh, Knizov? Gleason, you know, who's going to get the, the start since Shimmick is going to be back for uh, a bit of a longer stint? Um, and just time on the ice for all three of these guys, I think it's going to be beneficial to the team because you're just going to have more choices uh, in the, the back line. Yeah, absolutely. And that's rough because all those guys, I think, have played extremely well. Now, obviously, you get Shimmick back in the lineup and you're a stronger team, period. Um, I think Kanijov is a lock. You absolutely keep Kanijov. So it's going to be either Clayson or uh, Malosh or Malosh, whatever. Um, so if, I mean, Shimmick's playing on the left, then there's your answer right there. So yeah. the, the guy playing on the left is essentially going to be the, the odd man out, probably. Um, having said that, again, I think they've all kind of earned their spots where they are right now. So it, it is going to suck having one of them leave the lineup. At the same time, it'll be glorious having Shimmick back in the lineup. So um, I, for me, I'm comfortable either which way. You know, if it takes Shimmick a little bit longer to come back, I don't think it's a huge detriment to the team. But if, you know, we get him back, it can only be a boon, a bonus to the team, right? So um, I'm, I'm happy either which way. Um, it'll be interesting for me to see when Eric Carlson comes back how this team performs because if we start losing again, Oh my goodness. Can you imagine the pushback on social media? <laughs> it's just going to be gross. Well, poor timing too. Cause I think our next, uh, what's in the schedule coming up, we got Colorado Vegas again. Um, you know, there's, I mean, Colorado in particular, there's your, your big test, I think for every team this year. So Mitch yeah. Watch. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, St. Louis is no slouch, but you're right. Colorado and Vegas are kind of the, the big guns in, uh, in this division. So um, we'll see what they're, uh, what they're really capable of, um, this banged-up group of Sharks, because uh, we did go up against a, a banged-up group of uh, St. Louis Blues, but I don't care. I'm still happy with the win. Um, last thing, I think, and it was something that you wanted to bring up here, and it's actually something that you already brought up, uh, the outdoor game. You want to go ahead and just uh, take off there? Well, hey, you know, uh, everybody on this, uh, on the broadcast, I'm sure, uh, is a fan of Lake Tahoe. And I just thought it was interesting. I mean, it kind of shows the NHL's, uh, how they thought this season was going to play out. The fact that the closest, geographically speaking, NHL team to Lake Tahoe was not asked to play uh, in any of the games. Maybe that's a good thing, given how the ice was earlier today. Although I imagine it's pretty good this evening as they're playing while we're, we're broadcasting and then Philly and Boston tomorrow. Um too bad. It would have been fun to see the Sharks uh, up in Tahoe. Might have tried to make the trip and you know get out on a kayak uh, and watch the game. <laughs> yeah, nice. No, I mean, honestly, with everything that happened today, though, uh, it seems like anywhere that they had paint on the ice, uh, the, the sun kind of soaked up in those areas, and it was kind of a, uh, it was akin to a swimming pool, I think is what they had said. So um, yep. having to put up with, with that and – play a period that's kind of sloppy and then take off a few hours and then come back to play the other two periods. I think I'm with coach Bob and coach Bob had said this actually before all that happened, I think. And he said, I'm glad that we're not a part of it. And I'm kind of with him in hindsight. Now I'm kind of glad that we weren't a part of, of that. Um, Absolutely. It would have been cool. And I understand, you know, everybody wanted us to go there and I'm sure other people also understand that, part of the reason the Sharks don't get to go to that game or don't get invited to that game is because the Sharks were horrible. So you don't want to get, even though the team is geographically closer to Lake Tahoe, you don't want to have a team that nobody wants to watch. Cause then what's the point of setting up this elaborate outdoor rink if no one's going to watch it. Right. So like, I get that, but um, yeah, I know it, it would have been nice. Um, it would have been cool to participate. 
I think I would rather wait until we can have a, a proper stadium series again, like kind of the Levi Stadium one that they did where the ice – is it going to be problematic? You can have fans there. The fans can go and see the game, uh, you know, right there instead of having to watch it on TV. Uh, I would rather see that anyway. So, um, and again, in hindsight, with all the problems they were having, I am glad that the Sharks weren't a uh, part of that whole debacle and had to deal with that whole thing. So, um, that's really all I've got to say about that one. But yeah, no, it'll be nice to to kind of pull up and watch. I do wonder what time uh, does the Philadelphia game uh, start tomorrow? Do you know? They, I think they because the time is going to be about the same as the start earlier for um, Vegas and Colorado. They swapped the early and late game yesterday or tomorrow. Excuse me, Capitals. I think were the late now they're the early and it's for Pacific. I think. Okay. Okay. Um, I got another dollar ninety nine here from Lundy. Actually, we play Wild Monday. Easy W. Oh, it's never an easy W, Lundy. Uh, but yeah, no, that would be great. I would love to see. Uh, a big win against the Minnesota Wild, against any team, really. Uh, you do kind of wonder, are they going to play Dubnik uh, against the Minnesota Wild? So who knows? In fact, let's do that real quick. Let's do a roll call. Everybody go ahead and tell us uh, where you're from uh, where, or where you're watching us from, I guess. And, uh, yeah, if you think Dubnik should start against the uh, the Wild on uh, – yeah, we play Wild Monday. Yeah, so on Monday, if, if you think Dubnik ought to play in the, uh, the Wild game, face his former team – and uh, see if you can pull two points out uh, against them. Let us know. Very good. Yeah, thank you. There you go. Good stuff. Okay. Um, gosh. You know what? Hey, uh, let's just – I want to I catch up on you. What have you been doing uh, since the uh, last, I don't know, three years? When was the last time we had you on the show? <laughs> yeah, I did so well. You waited two years to have me back. I, I love uh, I love that how that worked out. Uh had a baby, so I did the Aaron uh, Aaron Scholl maneuver, uh, learning how to parent. Uh, anyone in the chat who's got tips for you know how to be a father, I'll take them because I, I always want to try and make novel mistakes as a as a new parent. Uh, other than that, just continue to watch you know the sharks and uh, try and not get uh, COVID in the in the process. Very awesome. Uh, I saw Anthony Sanchez here earlier saying trade Burns. Um, you don't have to put it on the screen there, but uh, <laughs> Anthony. I thought you were the one that was telling us not to say trade burns because your wife keeps throwing the shoe at you. And now here you are in the chat saying trade burns. What's going on, man? Someone want to explain this one to me? My goodness. Uh, Marshall, this is something we've talked about on the show as well, um, that with uh, Seattle's uh, expansion draft coming up, that they'll probably end up not protecting burns and burns would be selected by Seattle trying to protect Shimmick. You have to protect Velasic. You have to protect uh, Eric Carlson. I'm interested in your thoughts on this real quick. Uh, something that I had proposed, and I feel like uh, this player might go for it. What if you tried to trade Mark Edward Vlasic, uh, say to a team like maybe Montreal or whoever, is somebody that, that has always wanted him there, somebody that who is a good team that he would want to play on, not playing in the bottom six as right now he's playing in the top four only because Schimmick and Carlson are out. Normally they'd put him down in the bottom six because he got demoted. Um, a place where maybe he could be a little bit more impactful and maybe just get a change of scenery. I feel like if they were to want that trade for Vlasic, that he would be okay with making that trade as well. Is that something that you think is a possibility? And if so, I will tell you more about the reasons behind that. So fire away. I, I bet I can guess what some of those reasons are. Uh, the, the, the coming launch of the Kraken from Seattle, I think – 
every uh, NHL GM is going to be a heck of a lot smarter about this expansion team than they were about the Vegas Golden Knights. I think the Sharks played that relatively well last go-round. Florida did not with Marcia So and William Carlson and then a variety of other uh, really stupid moves by, I think, GMs where I don't think they really anticipated how it was all going to play out. Now we're probably in a better spot. As to Vlasic, uh, I think his uh, upbringing in the province of Quebec – uh, I think the fact that I believe his wife and dogs are still there presently. Uh, I, I mean, you could convince him at some level if he wanted to go play uh, for the Canadiens. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the right move. I think the, the benefit of having the three guys we're talking about uh, in the bottom two pairings, Malosh, uh, Knizov, and Cleason, I mean, that certainly they continue to show and not stand out in a very good way. That probably gives you a lot more flexibility for Doug Wilson uh, in just throughout the season you know, this year and then going into the expansion draft where you're going to make some hard choices one way or another. Yeah, okay. So, um, I, yeah, I guess for, for me, either you're going to end up losing Burns for nothing, right? Or if you were to trade Vlasic, you get something back for him, right? Uh, and you protect those guys anyway. The only guy that's got on the defensive core that you would need to protect because you don't need to protect Mario Ferraro. You can protect – um, Carlson, Burns, Schimmick. Ferraro isn't old enough or hasn't played enough to, to need to be protected, so he's okay. And then uh, a guy like, you know, Malosh or Kanijov, right? They're obviously too young for that. And the only guy that's left of the current roster would be Clayson. And he's got 155 games of NHL experience, so he qualifies. All you'd have to do is give him a contract extension, and then he becomes the one defenseman that you have to have exposed. You have mm-hmm. to have one, right? So he becomes that guy. Uh, on the forwards, basically you would end up protecting all the big guns, but then Kevin LeBanc would be kind of like the odd man out, in which case they're probably going to take Kevin LeBanc, right? So um, unless you, uh, you know, finagle it a certain way and say, we'll give you this, we'll give you that, don't take Kevin, um, you would at least be able to expose uh, enough of the forwards that you would qualify for that requirement. I think you have to have at least two forwards and at least one defense. So what you would do is you give uh, Sorensen a contract extension that would, clear all that stuff up then. So essentially the best player that they would be able to take is LeBanc. If you wanted to keep him again, you work some trade kind of thing going on, but then you don't have to expose Burns and no matter how much you ask, they would take Burns. So that's kind of what I was thinking of. And I was just kind of curious what you thought about it. Yes. The more, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's hard to know, to be honest, because I feel like there's a lot of things that Doug Wilson can do. And again, I think the experience with Vegas San Jose navigated, I thought pretty well, um, and you know what they did to avoid having somebody go directly to the team. Um, I'm sure who was went to Montreal. It's one of the defensemen, if I am not mistaken. Uh, same thing here. Uh, I think where you try and not be put in that position in the first place, right? You, you try and get to ha- get something to ha- get the thing to happen that you want to have happen. And I think mm-hmm. Doug Wilson hopefully can navigate that well. And I just think you know if you have more defensemen who can coming in play with Shimmick and Carlson out that just makes your hand a little bit easier, right? You've got people you can deal. You've got more confidence in your bottom half of your roster. I mean, all that stuff's good stuff. Very good. Okay, uh, we'll wrap this up real quick here, but I do want to call out a couple of things. One, Anthony Sanchez says, Paul, I'm wearing new Bluetooth earbuds and my wife can't listen no more. <laughs> so we can talk all the Burns trade talk without the fear of shoes being thrown. Anthony very smart, but I have to say I'm a little disappointed it took you this long to figure out the solution, my friend. Uh, but, hey, good on you, buddy. Uh, and then, uh, of course, the $5 Super Chat from Brandon 
Kelsey saying from Monterey, California, get on NHL BK the Flyboy. Oh, okay. This is this is BK the Flyboy from uh, NHL 21. He's uh, one of the guys that plays with the group. And uh, sure, I'll be on later on. And he says Carlson for a top six forward, a top 40, and a 2022 third round pick. BK, that ain't happening, buddy. <laughs> There's no way that's happening. Right now, you could probably get the top six forward and maybe a third round pick. You're not getting a top four D that comes with it. Maybe you'd get that. I don't even think you would. But he's got to want to go. Yeah, he's got to want to go. And and the other team that wants him has got to be okay with having him having three groins somehow. <laughs> it's a freak of nature. Who knows? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Sands is Jack Eichel. Yeah. No, no one's getting Jack Eichel, buddy. Don't worry about that. Okay. Thank you guys. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Marshall, did you have a good time? Had a great time. Thanks for having me on. I uh, appreciate the every two year cadence we're on. I'll see you in uh, 2023, give or take. Hey, man, Aaron can only make babies so fast, okay? The next time he has them, we'll have you come back on, okay? Right. Noted. All right. And uh, all, as we say goodbye here, I want everybody in the comments to give uh, Marshall some applause, some fire, some uh, some encouragement, uh, maybe a little bit of thank you there. That'd be great. Yeah, a little hashtag bring back Marshall. There you go. There you go. Okay, guys. Hey, I've had a lot of fun doing this. It's been a great week uh, for Sharks Hockey. I think they did an awesome job playing these games, picking up points. And the little, the young guys and the small guys, uh, they've all stepped up and played really, really well. So I'm super happy with it, and I hope you guys are as well. So for Super Producer Jason, I'm Paul. I'm Marshall. Hey, did it! <laughs> and this is episode number, what is it, 104? Yeah, 104. And we will see you guys. Can you say it? I don't know. I don't know what you We'll want. see you guys next time. We don't know when. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this episode, check out our other content, especially interviews. You can interact with us directly through social media at The Fin Factor and on Instagram at Fin Factor. And don't forget to join our live streams on YouTube. Visit our website at thefinfactor.com where you'll find all of our episodes as videos or podcasts. You'll also find our exclusive merchandise to help support our show.